and welcome to today's episode of Chef Talk. I'm your host, Daniela Smallwood, and today we are back continuing our celebration of Black History Month. That's right, all month long, we are celebrating the contributions of Blacks in hospitality and food. Today, our panel is like none other. We have such a wide variety of professionals in the hospitality and food industry who, one, come from some HBCU backgrounds, two, are people of color, and three, are making strides to change and transform both the enterprise and entrepreneurship in the hospitality industry. Today, I would like to introduce our panelists. We have Marla Pruitt of Mary Alice Cakes. We have Darius Spells of Red Barn Cajun Crawfish, Larry Swain of Wings of Mambo Sauce, and Stacey Gibson, hospitality industry marketing professional. Welcome today. We're so glad to have you. And we have a special co-host today. Brianna Williams from Make It Memorable is here to help me facilitate tonight's conversation. So we want to dive right into our conversation. And we're going to start by asking each and every one of our panelists to tell us a little bit about their their business or their enterprise experience. And so we're going to start with Stacy Gibson. Hi, Stacy. Hi. Um, just to give you guys a quick a little background, I started in higher education dining. It's been four years as a marketing professional. Professional, and I came in this industry it was my first job. Just thinking it was my big big girl job right out of college, but it became so much more to me. Um, seeing that through higher education dining, we can actually help with retention and making sure that students that look like us finish, whether it's giving them internships, whether it's, you know, even if they stop to have questions just outside of dining, it was a big goal for me to make sure that I had a part in retention and making sure that they finished their, co uh, their collegiate experience outside of the dining program. Excellent. Thank you so much, Stacey. The next person we want to introduce today is Larry Swain. Larry Swain, please go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background. Hey, everyone. Um, again, my name is Larry Swain. I'm the founder of Wings of Mambo Sauce. Uh, it's a food service product that we also sell and retail in some spaces, uh, but it's the sauce that's indigenous to the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, it's best on fried chicken, seafood, uh, and many other things, but I'm trying to take it national uh, through the food service space. Uh, the brand was actually founded uh, through my food truck, Wingsa, uh, that was really popular here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where our company's based. Uh, we've been on Food Network. We're the winners of Food Court Wars uh, with Chef Tyler Florence. Uh, we've been featured in Jet Magazine, Black Enterprise, Bloomberg. Uh, but the idea came from servicing the sauce through our business and seeing the magic of it in a region outside of Washington, D.C. And when that happened, uh, we had some interest from a few clients that wanted to serve our food truck product in their restaurant. And it went from there. So now we have over 20 restaurants uh, using our product between Charlotte and Atlanta, and we're looking to go further. Excellent. We're excited to have you, and we know that this is going to be a great conversation. Next up, we want to introduce our panelists, Marla Pruitt of Mary Alice Cakes. Hi, I'm Marla Pruitt. I am the creator and founder of Mary Alice Cake, your first full line of cake mixes uh, that we are uh, working to get into retail stores. We have created our flagship 
uh, called the Perfect White Cake Mix. I am formerly a professional baker and I own my own bakery. And that's been a, a few years ago, but this time I wanted to come back into an industry that I love uh, and that I knew a bit about, but I, I needed something that was going to be scalable and that could reach more homes and more stomachs than just pushing cupcakes in my bakery. And I knew the way to create generational wealth was not going to be in the storefront pushing cupcakes for me. And so we created this product. Uh, it's been well received. And so our goal is to be able to distribute it, distribute it wholesale as well as retail. And we're working now, uh, getting into some stores, working with the distributor. And we're just really excited. Um, this it's just been a, a great feat. So we're looking forward to making more waves in the industry. Excellent. I'm really excited about that because one of the things I think that's going to be a critical part of our conversation is that all of you all have scalable businesses and scalable skills. And so I'm excited about, you know, really having that conversation today. Yeah. Last but absolutely not least is Darius Spells of Red Barn Cajun Crawfish. Darius, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your business. Uh, hello, guys. Uh, my name is Darius Spells. Uh, I own a restaurant called the Red Barn Cajun Crawfish and Seafood, specializing in crawfish here based out of Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, just a quick background. Started in 2016. I was the first black storefront in my particular area, being a young black man uh, selling crawfish. Uh, crawfish is, is uh, it started here uh, in Louisiana. We like the mecca of crawfish. And with that, with being that, uh, no blacks had even thought about even owning a, a crawfish spot. So that's kind of how I just started my journey, uh, based off a bad experience. And was like, man, I can, I can sell this myself. And so I just, just, I just went with my move and just started my business. And now I'm, I'm just, I'm supplying in Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas as of right now with live crawfish, um, and looking to expand and start a, and start the franchise out for the Red Barn. But that's just a quick rundown of my story and what I do with the um, seafood industry. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you here today. And um, it's interesting because what you did not know is I used to live in Reston, um, Reston, Louisiana, um, down the road from Shreveport. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah right I, up the street. Uh -huh. I spent some time at Grambling, Louisiana Tech and University of Louisiana Monroe uh, working, actually. So spent a lot of time in Shreveport. And I think that, you know, just really understanding that culture, it's a great place that's there. So we're going to start just kind of diving into our conversation a little bit more. And Darius, we're going to um, start with you. And so my question is, what inspired you? I know you said that um, you didn't see people that looked like you, but, you know, other than that, what really inspired you to go into the seafood industry and why was that important to you? Uh, honestly, I just went into the seafood industry just on the on the hope and a prayer. To be honest, uh, before before I even jump into the restaurant to give a quick breakdown, I, I was the DJ. I started DJing. I was the road DJ for an artist named Hurricane Chris in particular. Sound he had a song called "A Bay Bay." So I was a DJ. That was I was known for being on the radio. And I honestly, I just jumped into the seafood industry basically i would date my wife at that particular time and we was going out i was taking on dates we were eating crawfish and we were spending so much money and we we was kept getting bad service and the most the people who was eating it looked like me but the people who owned it didn't look like me and i was like you know what we getting this bad service and man who gonna sell better than sell this particular item better than us so i was like i just took a leap out on faith i had no background in the restaurant industry i literally I uh, just tapped into my network, knew somebody who can, who at least introduced me to even trying to get into the business. 
that first business, uh, that person, you know, he kind of messed over. But I learned from that lesson and was able to be blessed to enable to begin to a farm, being have a direct source, no middleman, and open the first storefront in my particular city, which is Shreveport. And that's just how I started the, the seafood industry. It just really off of hope and praying and a dream and just trying to hustle and trying to make a way out of no way. I think that's a critical point that you make too, is that oftentimes we have um, different things that as you know, a black community, there are things that um, are important to us that we tend to frequent and utilize, but the people who own it don't look like us and the treatment isn't there. So for you to have the courage to say, you know what? I know how to treat my community. I know what my community likes and what they need and I wanna provide them. It takes a lot of courage. And when we talk about courage, uh, Marla, uh, what gave you the courage to produce a product? And, and you're talking about a product that is now rivaling like Duncan Hines. Like you're going yeah. to compete with the big boys. What gave yeah. you the courage to do that? You know what? Um, when I created, my mind is not on competing with another company. My mind was on creating a quality product that would stand out. You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, you're competing, but I just wanted to focus on the product I was creating. Um, the courage was that, you know, it, it's something I've been in, I've been an entrepreneur and I've gone back to work, but it's just something about the risk taking. Like, it's like you're kind of led to what you're supposed to be doing. And so I lost everything in 2019, literally like lost everything. And then I had, I have twin sons that were in uh, the senior year in high school at that time. So you either going to sink or you're going to swim. You know, you either going to give up or you're just going to keep pushing. And I went through hard times. I'm talking about depression, all of that stuff, like never before. But it was just something like, what can I do? So I actually thought of like, you know, it's got to be a way out of this. Like it has to be. What can I create? And so that's how it came about. I actually started creating packaging for a buttercream because my buttercream was, I was well known for my buttercream. And so as I was working with this marketing firm, creating my buttercream, Something said, why are you creating the buttercream first? You should be creating your cake mix first. And that's what sold, you know. And so I, I just kind of searched and I happened upon my manufacturer who happened to create, had like the scientists there who could, could take your recipe and create a formula. It's not the same as just putting my flour stuff in a box and I'm going to sell it. People don't, it's not just that simple. So I worked with my manufacturer, came out with the formula and amazingly it tastes just like my from scratch recipe. So I'm really excited. And it just took, I mean, it, being an entrepreneur, everybody, I'm like really amazed to be among these three, you know, these, the, the panel, I'm like, God, these people are amazing. And it just takes you stepping out and, and just takes the courage. I mean, you either gonna fail or you're gonna, you're gonna do well. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So that's where I was. So. I love that. And I think for those of you guys who are listening, and that's one of the things you hear often, but you need to write it down. If, if you don't take a shot, you have no chance. And right. speaking of that, Stacey, you have been on the enterprise side. And so you've been working with different companies. And one of the things um, in following your career is you've been willing to take some leaps um, to grow into different companies, to move into different regions. And so what gives you the courage to get up and move across the country away from your family <laughs> um, in order to do your career? Like how, how did you find the wherewithal to say, I'm committed to my career no matter where it leads me? Um, <laughs> that's funny because I was just talking to my, my mom today and she was like, you literally will go. 
And I look at things like I just don't. I, it looks that way. But I tell people all the time, I know that I'm on assignment. I know that God is sending me places. And there are often times where I get there and I start seeing, OK, I'm here for this reason. Um, my skill sets were needed here. But um, right now I'm currently in Charlotte. And there were moments when I got here and I was like, what did I just do? <laughs> I left my safety net in Atlanta with my parents. and But now, again, um, there is a need for me in this market here. A lot of the times when I see certain things, our marketing efforts, they are not targeted towards people that look like us. And a lot of times I have to take things and see how can I how can I redirect this so that people that look like me can relate to it. Um, and right now, uh, it's kind of funny because the program that I'm at now, we're kind of starting from the ground up. And so I'm kind of allowing a, a laying a foundation of what will be here long after I leave. And so the main question I ask myself is how am I going to show up today? How am I going to be present today? How am I going to make the best of this situation? So it's never, um, it's never just about me. Whenever I leave or take a leap or do anything, it's like I do sit and I, I look at the I look at where I'm going. I look at the, the job or I look at the assignment and say, OK, like I'm here for a reason. And I start to seek purpose and that new thing that I'm discovering. And I have learned so much on this journey, not just in my professional career, but in my spiritual journey and within myself. There were moments where I doubted. If I could do certain things and you don't know what's in you until you got to pull it out of you. <laughs> so I will tell anybody if you're doubting if you're supposed to do something again, back to what you referenced before, you won't know until you actually you get up and do it. That's good. That's really good. And, you know, we have to turn that light on in the inside that says I, I rather know. And I always tell people that I rather know that this thing happened and I failed than to spend a whole life wondering, would this have worked? You know, could I have been successful at it? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes failure is not necessarily that it didn't go the way you saw it, but failure is not taking action. And so speaking of action, you know, Larry, uh, what has been the, the most challenging part for you of going from, idea to execution because you have to kind of walk through that process. Right, right. And every path, everybody's path is different. You know, there's no secret to success. You know, there's many different ways you can get there. Uh, in my case, the most challenging thing has been that there's really no playbook. Uh, so, you know, when you have an original idea or you're, you're approaching something in a way that it hasn't been approached before, uh, nobody can tell you how to get to your destination. Uh, so for me, you know, what I've tried to do, uh, just, you know, piggybacking on what Stacy was saying was uh, moving with purpose, right? So understanding why I'm doing it, uh, you know, trying to wrap my arms around my purpose in life and just pursuing it as fast as I can and as forward as I can. Um, in my case, you know, I went from being a food service provider, uh, like Darius mentioned to, you know, I had a food truck and a restaurant based on that food network experience. Um, and then I, I changed teams per se. So, you know, I was purchasing products from uh, various vendors and distributors to use in my business. Uh, so I understood 
what customers would want on that side of things a little bit more than people just getting into the product business. Uh, so I tried to follow what my experience taught me. Uh, I'm a marketing professional by trade. So I got my marketing degree from Morgan State University. Uh, and, you know, it's all, always been about brand building. Uh, so, you know, figuring out how to make my brand stand out uh, and then determining who I wanted to sell to and having tunnel vision there, not really uh, deviating from the original plan. So I wanted to sell to restaurants and as many retail outlets that pull me in. You know, we still sell from our website, but I try to stay focused on food service uh, wholeheartedly. But there's no playbook. I mean, that's the challenge, figuring out what works for you, uh, for the lifestyle that you want to live, but also for the customers that you want to serve. That's excellent. And I think that creating your own playbook and having that strategic plan, like you said, that fits you is such a huge part of just being successful. Uh, so as we're talking about our conversation today, one of the things that um, sometimes we don't like to talk about, but is a reality is that there are some disparities that Blacks face as they're building businesses or as they're navigating their career in the enterprise part of the hospitality and food service industry. And so um, you may, you know, everybody's experiences are different, but I want to have a conversation about some of those things that you guys have faced and how you've overcome them so that we can kind of have a strategic conversation that helps the next generation to be able to take the lessons that we have and stand on the shoulders of us to be better, to go faster, to do more than we've done. And so, you know, what are some of the disparities that you feel like Black people face in enterprise and entrepreneurship when it comes to the hospitality and food industry? Um, I'll start there um, in hospitality. Uh, and I'll speak from my personal experience. So uh, the lack of a network, has been a, a major challenge uh, because, you know, we're competing against national brands. Uh, just to give you an example, like, you know, most restaurants that are serving hot sauce or using hot sauce in their in their uh, on their menu are using Frank's or Texas Pete, or you may have some um, private labels that U.S. Foods or Cisco produces for you, right? Um, they they have you know restaurant and restaurant chain connections that are super deep, but also with those uh, food distributors. So you know me coming in and and trying to sell them on a young black man with a sauce uh, that wants to service restaurants is no easy task. And so you know having a network uh, has been a challenge, but you know I've tried to work from the ground up. So speaking to the restaurants, uh, Black-owned businesses have been my number one customer by far uh, because they know Mambo Sauce, you know, uh, from either they've gone to an HBCU and everybody from D.C. talked about it all over the country or they've been in the region and have tried it, but they've heard of it. And they say, wow, that would be dope to get on the menu. Uh, so I, I sort of have been ground roots working on the restaurant level, and that helped me trickle up into uh, restaurant retail with U.S. Foods. So I was able to go to them and say, hey, I already have 10 restaurants that I'm driving sauce around. How about you guys get that business and I can send them to one place? So uh, without taking up too much time, I think network uh, was the thing that's been the biggest challenge for me in that space as a Black entrepreneur. All right, anybody else? I for me. Oh, oh, no. I completely agree with him. 
Absolutely. It, it is the network and being able, as far as my industry, to infiltrate. And I'm probably the baby out the, out the crew here as far as business, you know, wise goes. So there's a lot of things I already knew going in the disparities, the gender and race disparities within the um, cake mix industry. I mean, they're wide. There's no one that looks like me on the shelves in the big box brands. And so being able to um, to infiltrate that industry and create space for underrepresented brands that that's a feat that I'm that that's actually part of I feel my purpose for this brand is to create space for other brands coming I mean, because I'm not the first uh, dry mix uh, uh, brand around I'm not but to get on those shelves to compete with the other brands that the whole there's not there's not a woman owned business a uh, major woman-owned business or 100% uh, Black-owned business in that space. So having to create that network, having to um, navigate my way in this industry, I'm not going to say it's a challenge, it, but it's a challenge, but not one that's like, oh, it's really hard. It's just a challenge that I'm going to have to overcome and to make those networks to, to and even expand the brand um, wholesale-wise and, and, and distributing to, you know, someone like, you know, Thompson, so it's, it's being able to say, hey, try this brand for your baking needs in your hotels or in your HBCUs or in your restaurants and, and convincing them to, to um, not convincing, but to showing them the benefits of using my brand as opposed to using my, you know, another well-known brand. So that's it for me. I think that's excellent. What about you, Stacey? Um, what I was going to say on the corporate side, just entering corporate America, a lot of times I would look around and I was the youngest in the room and I was the only black girl in the room around a bunch of older white men. And I'm talking board of trustees and these are high level positions. And so if you ever find yourself in those positions, sometimes you start to question if you're supposed to be in those spaces. And you start to like question your value, like, um, am I... Am Am I supposed to be here or did I, did I jump too soon? Did I do something too soon? So learning how to navigate in those spaces so that you're not the last to enter those spaces was a challenge for me. Um, especially again, always, my age will come up. I remember at one time I had someone who thought I was an intern. Until I entered the boardroom with him, he was like, oh, this is your, your marketing such and such. And so when those moments happen, just having to remind myself I deserve to be here. I've earned the right to be here. I've done the work to be here. And I won't be the last person in this space that looks like me. I think you make a good point. Um, early in my career, I went through the same thing. I'm sitting in a room with university presidents. And um, back then I looked young. <laughs> and so, you know, kind of that same time, you know, same conversations that you have. And I think that we have to have the courage to go first, right? Like we have to find the wherewithal and the courage to go first and to be the only one and to not shrink back, but to bring our greatness and allow our greatness to really kind of shine in those places um, and be un uncompromising about our stance on what, yeah. what we need um, and what we bring to the table and how valuable we are. I think that that was one of the most important parts of us even launching this show is to be able to really showcase the value that's out there in our communities. Um, most of you guys um, come from either an HBCU background or you guys are members of the Divine Nine um, and you're active in, in your community. And as we've been talking, I'm hearing more and more and more about how purpose is a part of your 
your business. And so from there, you know, we have those disparities that we utilize. And then um, there's also learning curves. And so we all experience learning curves. Um, I think that whether you're in the enterprise size or the entrepreneurship side, there are just a lot of learning curves um, that are there. And so I'm going to um, ask Brianna to just, you know, talk to you guys for a little bit. Let's have a conversation about some of those learning curves. Yeah, definitely. So the first question is, again, going out to anyone on the panel to answer, but um, what has been the biggest learning curve that you've experienced when starting your business? Um, and how did you overcome that? I, can I speak? Because <laughs> I got a few. I always say, you don't know what you don't know. And so and you don't know you don't know it until you need to know what you don't know. So my biggest, I would say, curve, or challenge, even though I've been in marketing and uh, for a manufacturer before, and the whole branding aspect, um, learning what problem you solve for your customer. Because all I think is, I'm just creating another K mix. I mean, what problem is there to solve? You know, I'm gonna have a better K mix. It's gonna taste better. It's gonna taste from scratch. But you have to be able to to narrow down what problem are you solving for your consumer? What is gonna make you stand out? And and it's just you know, I don't have this big team. So two challenges for me, forming a team that sees your vision and is not who's willing to work with you while you don't have the budget at the moment for it to be on the team. And then learning that you got to get help when it comes to marketing and branding. And so that's why I am currently, because I know that it's going to be a household name. I know it's going to be this multi-million dollar company. We're in our infancy stages right now, but it's not going to be there without the proper branding. And I know where I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know Facebook ads. I don't know how to get my message out. And so those are just kind of a couple of my curves, knowing that you don't know what you don't know and building the team that you need to help you learn everything you need to know. So those are good. Darius, what about you? Uh, the major learning curve basically was as if having help. That's number one. Learning how to manage people, learning in the, in the, in the restaurant industry. Knowing how to run a successful business, knowing about your food costs, knowing about your labor costs, because those particular two factors can sink you if you have a restaurant. Not knowing your labor costs and your food costs, because you be giving away free food. You can't do that. I learned, I have to learn to stop giving discounts. No, no, ain't no discount because at the end of the day, when that invoice comes from that food supply, you have to pay that bill nobody else <laughs> <laughs> when it's time to cut the check you have to pay that bill so that's a few learning because you know once you start off you do have to do some type of freebies because you got to get people to know your yeah. product but you got to have it under control and also have an accountant have an accountant have an accountant so that's just a few things i learned along the way that's a good one and that's a critical one is that so many people get into business with passion they do it because they love whatever it is that they do but at the end of the day it goes back to what marla said you don't know what you don't know and there are some things that you have to be able to say you know what i need to i need to to send this to someone who is a certified expert and when i say that it's someone who is vetted someone that you have you know, you have proof of their performance where you can see that they're great at what they do. And having your accounting messed up can lock you up and have you in jail if you don't have those numbers right and your taxes are not right. So I think that's critical. Go ahead, Larry. An important piece of that uh, that I was going to mention as my learning curve is the importance of pricing. 
So uh, pricing was the thing that was the biggest struggle for me. Uh, I was a new restaurant, food truck owner, all the way up into this sauce business because, you know, you can find yourself in a place if your pricing isn't right, that you're doing a lot of work. You're spinning your wheels a whole lot uh, and you're not making any money. You know, so you're, if breaking even is not your goal, uh, you have to figure out what your pricing is going to be to make it profitable for you, but yet still beneficial to your customer. So um, the thing that I did to uh, determine the best pricing was, you know, first I did some armchair mathematics to to try to determine, you know, where the profit margin was. If it costs you six bucks and you're selling it for 12, that's a good markup, but you you don't think about all the hidden costs you're going to have to pay out of that mm-hmm. additional six dollars, right? Uh, so I got with a business counselor. Uh, most cities uh, or universities in their small business centers will have services that can help you work through some of those things to determine the margin you need to make it worth your while. So pricing is super important uh, to piggyback on Darius's point. You know. You want to have great prices, but you also want to have a great business. So finding the balance there. That's good. My mantra is it needs to be profitable and impactful. And if it's not both, we got a problem. And so um, I think that's a great point. And I think a good resource that you highlighted. So for those of you all who are students on campus or, or attached to a university and have relationships with them, don't overlook utilizing um, those opportunities that are there on campus so that you can have people who are experienced that can look over your plan, who can see things that you that you don't see. And so while there are some great business consultants and coaches that are out there and available for your business, start where you are. So if you're on campus, start with those who are on campus and maximize as much of it as possible. I can remember going to school. I went to school for entertainment business and my um, my professor that taught the entertainment law class, she was an attorney and trust and believe <laughs> I was in her inbox on her phone at all times, you know, just building a relationship with her, asking questions, really being able to maximize that relationship. That is why you go to school. The investment mm-hmm. is not just for the paper. The investment is for the networking and the relationships that you build along the way. So I love that you brought that into the place of, of what that looks like. So Stacy, question for you is as a marketer, and you know, one of the things that Marla mentioned was that sometimes marketing and branding is a challenge. So, as a marketer, um, what challenges do you, you know, have you faced when it comes to promoting uh, things to a diverse market? Market, you know, especially when it comes to promoting them to, you know, audiences of color. Um, and um, do you find that there are voices of color missing from the industry right now? So I have it's two parts to that. So. The challenge that I find often when working with entrepreneurs or anyone who's starting a business that wants that's target audience are either black women within the black community is that they don't do the groundwork. They don't build the foundation. Um, I can't tell your I, I tell your story, but I can't tell you what your story is. So sometimes we, I get these broken pieces and things aren't flowing. They're not making sense. Um, but they created a logo before they've actually sat down and made a business model or a business plan. And I get it and have to make this marketable. But in actuality, it's missing the foundation. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, I challenge you, if you have a business idea or something that you're starting from the ground up, you have to lay that foundation. Because when you do take it to a marketing professional, we're going to rely on you to 
how do we market you? How do we get your brand out there? And a lot of times I found that the young women that I work with, they can't answer those questions for me. And I, I know it's that excitement of I'm, I have my own business. I'm about to start my, my Instagram page, my website. It's like, that's great. Um, but you can save yourself a lot of time and money if you start that groundwork, because a lot of the markets that you think you want to target, those aren't your markets. Those that that's that that's not who you who who's going to buy the product, and you know just to speak towards the diversity aspect of it, uh, I do feel like sometimes we we are we miss the mark of excluding people who we think that won't purchase our products or it's not for them, and we kind of put ourselves in a box a lot of the times, and. That box is really small, but if you lay that groundwork, you'll see that there's people out there who, you know, will buy this outside of who you think will buy it. Um, I feel like a lot of times there are, there are these marketing brand, these strategies that are put together. They just don't make any sense. And you can like, again, you can miss the mark. For me, at the top of my head, I kept thinking about the Black Lives Matter and how the value went away from the actual message and it became a marketing ploy. It became let me tech, let me stick this on something so people can buy it. And you never want to just jump on what's trending. You want to do the work. You want to, you know, you want people to see the value in the brand. Um, I literally got so tired of seeing that because it wasn't just a market employee for black people to buy your product and and this miss message, message that we don't spend money. You know, it's like a movie like Girl Trip for people in Hollywood to see that. Black women are valuable in Hollywood. Like our stories matter. So just do that work and do that groundwork and don't exclude yourself or put yourself in a box. And I think the exclusion part is really good because sometimes even as business owners, we get boxed into, okay, well, I'm a black business and I only mm -hmm. serve black people when there are other dollars that are available for you. Yes. Uh, one of the things I was most surprised about coming to Thompson Hospitality was it was a black owned company and I expected to walk in and I expected it to be Wakanda everywhere. <laughs> it was Wakanda, but it wasn't the kind of Wakanda that I thought it was going to be. Like when I walked into headquarters, we had people from, I mean, when I tell you there are literally employees from every country around the world. I mean, they dress in their, you know, they dress based on their culture. They speak various languages. I mean, I, I walked in and I was just shocked. And then when I started looking at our portfolio. So yeah, in higher education, we have, you know, HBCUs, which we're super proud of, right? But then they have the restaurant division and they have the other partnership divisions that they have where we're able to partner and do business with people who don't look like us. And then it's putting money back into the pot that allows us to pour back into our communities. And yes. so sometimes there's money in other places that allow us to then go back and give to our community. But if we peg ourselves in that hole, it's really easy to get stuck you know in that place so um marla um i know that you know shifting from you talks about having your own bakery and then shifting to your product um and although i know marketing is something you're striving to i know i, I saw that you started to do some TikToks and things like that so um so just kind of share a little bit about some of the things that you have been doing to market your business and how they've been affecting what you've been doing well, you know, I just, well, just starting out, well, <laughs> we started with a Kickstarter campaign. And the interesting part about that, you just don't start a Kickstarter campaign without having a marketing plan. And that's something <laughs> I learned in hindsight. Um, but 
you're going to reach people. You 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 reach you want to reach everybody. You know, I'm I'm a black owned business, but my product is not just for black people. You know, I I I, I reach you know for green dollars. <laughs> so, you know. I just utilized my platform. I happen to already have a social media platform that was pretty well established over the years. And a lot of them have been with me since I had the bakery and then when I had the radio shows and the podcast. And so I have a, a small grasp on marketing. I was a marketing coordinator for a black hair care company that wasn't owned by us, but you know, and having that experience, you just kind of utilize that. But I don't know really a lot about brand, you know, recognition and things like that. So I just use my platform. I I know you have to stay in people's faces. You got to touch people at least seven times, you know, a lot of times before they make a purchase and you got to add value to your brand with your marketing. And so really the way your marketing look is going to determine if someone is actually interested in you. And so I kind of use that. Um, you you want to use your social media. You want to learn. You know, I, I learned that Facebook ad is not just going to, I'm going to use this amount per month. I mean, there is a science to these algorithms and how to use it. And I don't know that. <laughs> so I was really, you know, like, okay, I don't want to do this Facebook ad no more. That didn't work. I just use that money. Well, I just didn't know how to work it. And so, you know, I'm just trying to expand now, you know, and, in pitching, you know, everybody's on Clubhouse. So I was able to pitch my business to, on the Shark Tank pitch, you know, and learn, you know, what I needed. And although my pitch quote was successful, I learned there was a lot of things that I didn't know about. And so, you know, out of that, I had a marketing firm approach me, you know, say, hey, I know that we can sell these for you. So then you're like, oh, yes. But then they come to you and ask you all these questions. Like, you're a marketing firm. Why are you asking that? And it makes me think of what Stacy just said. Where's your business plan? Who is your target audience? Like, what, you have to be able to answer those questions. Thankfully, I, I have most, you know, of those things down. And I will say, don't start a business without a business plan. You know, when I started my bakery, they were like, don't be waiting on that. Just go. Just start. And I was like, don't wait. Just do. No. Have a business plan. <laughs> have it solid and so that marketing piece yeah i just used my presence as it is and i had a great product and so when you're shipping products you, you give them you give your customers instructions post this word of mouth to me is still one of the best ways to market and so that's been how i've grown it in the last you know since thanksgiving how we've grown the way we have is word of mouth and i have a good product so yeah, I'm not the marketing person here. You know, I want to reach out to Stacy and Larry after this because I'm like, I need to talk to y'all. <laughs> so yeah, marketing is not my thing, and I know that's not my thing. And so, but just I utilize what I had to grow so far, but now I need to have somebody else take me further. So, and, and I think that's a critical point for those who are watching. And you may say, "I've got a great business idea. I'm thinking about doing something in business." Is use what you have to get started. Yes. And then allow yourself to kind of grow into where you're going next and how you're right. going to move through it and things like that. And I think that sometimes people get stuck because it's like they just do nothing. They like sit on their, their thumbs. And so you're going to have challenges in the learning. Mm -hmm. You've got to be willing to kind of take the curves, you know, with the bull, you know, like a bull by the horn and just kind of go for the ride and things like that. So as we wrap up this part, um, Darius, you are really working um, with, you know, seafood. Now, do you do the harvesting of your seafood? And if you do, tell us a little bit about that process or who you're using to harvest your seafood. 
the way we do crawfish is uh, we have guys that's worth the farm who actually goes out and grab the crawfish and put them in the traps and whatnot. And then once they come off the farmland, they bring them to the docks. Then we go through them, sort out the crawfish, and we sack them up. And then they be ready to go and tag them in. We we start from the beginning of the process all the way from the ponds to the plate. So that's kind of how we do the whole process. And uh, and we just started just just really honestly, when I first started my business, I started out of the back of a U-Haul truck selling live crawfish in advanced auto parts. I had when I started the crawfish business, I wasn't cooking at first. I was only selling wholesale, and I didn't. I had to figure it out. I literally would just. Man, I literally was at a position in my life at that particular time to where I was either gonna succeed or I was gonna fail. It wasn't it wasn't no in-between. And like I try to tell a lot of entrepreneurs and people who just strive to do that. If you want to do it, do it. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't know everything, but I knew enough. I knew enough about business. I knew how to add one plus one is two. You know, I need <laughs> I need to be able to make this amount of money. And that's how I really started. And you and you and you're gonna learn as you go because you were never gonna go into anything and know it. You're not going to do you have to always learn then while you're doing that particular field make sure you get your mentor it's a lot of aspects to it that you you'll learn along the way but don't want to go so far in left field on it but uh just harvesting the crawfish we just we just do the whole process to where now we supply other restaurants other wholesalers the general public and it all just started just by just one person one sack at a time and and it was really hard for me when i first started because in the industry i'm in it's heavily white populated it's, when i started there were no black farmers no black nobody was doing it like that and i got a lot of slack when i first started because everybody around me they've been selling crawfish 20 30 years he come a new kid on the block who is this so you know that i mean literally they were sending the health board in on me all type of inspector was coming i had to be extra on top of my game because it's a it's in the in the real world it's it's it's, it's infested with sharks and it's sharks in that water and you mm -hmm. have to be prepared for it especially when you new to it and you making a lot of noise and people not used to that so they're just probably things you just kind of have to deal with and just know what's going on but just start and do it and just figure it out along the way and get in game mentorship as as you go along in your journey mentors are such a good part you know having somebody that can walk with you that you can pick up the phone and having a network of people around you I always tell people when they're going into business or entrepreneurship make sure that you're having conversations with people who have a track record um, behind them and so sometimes as entrepreneurs we want to talk to our friends right like the people who have been with us since the beginning of time but a lot of times they're not wired the same way that we are. They might carry fears about what if it doesn't succeed? How are you going to feed your family? And now you have someone feeding fear when you're trying to walk, you know, in this boldness and do something that's new and different. Um, and I love that you brought up that when you're a new person on the block, some of those challenges. Um, I can remember my first business that I ever started that was a storefront business was a beauty supply store. First, I was actually I was the second uh, black owned beauty supply store in the city that I was living in. in Texas. It was a small city. And yeah. 
And when I tell you, uh, the people who typically run the beauty supply business, they were not happy about it. And um, and so I, I got the same thing, the inspectors coming in, you know, letters, <laughs> letters that you didn't do this, you didn't do that. I was just like, and I fell flat on my face because I didn't really have people around me, you know, in that experience to kind of push me along to say, no, you got this, keep going. And so that's why I love platforms like this, where we get to have conversations and we can really encourage those who are coming along to, you know, really push them forward so that they can learn from our lessons and move faster. So that mentorship is really important. So we've talked about the disparities that, you know, some of us have faced in entrepreneurship and enterprise in this industry. We've talked about the learning curves, uh, but we also want to talk about the future. Where are we going as an industry? Um, you know, Stacy brought up the whole Black Lives Matter movement and how so many companies have opened up their budget. They've opened up their mentorship. They've opened up their resources for black owned businesses to be able to kind of, you know, bridge the gap um, and to really be able to see some of the disparities close. Um, and so how do we take advantage of that? How do we really maximize that so we can be um, successful and, 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 you know, move forward in that? And so um, the first thing I really want to talk about is so, Larry, we'll start with you as an entrepreneur selling your own product. Um, what are some industry trends if any that you can you really predict that are on the way uh i would say you know what you just alluded to uh, companies looking to connect with black audiences specifically um by partnering with existing businesses uh i think that that's a trend that we will continue to see uh because nobody can tell our story like we can uh nobody can quite chef it up the way that we can in many different uh, aspects of things. So I, in the future, I do see companies looking to connect to the authenticity uh, as opposed to creating their own version or their own uh, representation of who we are and what we would like. Uh, they've seen time and time again that connecting with entrepreneurs that are already in the space is more profitable than starting from scratch. Uh, we come with a built-in audience you know, we come with a following and a cultural richness that it just doesn't exist without that experience, right? So, you know, I'm going to show you, this is my retail size bottle right, of my Mambo car. Now, you know, when you see that on the shelf, only Black people will kind of understand what that branding means, right? So it's a new product, um, but... When you see that, you know it's Black-owned. Uh, you know what comes with that and what the experience is behind that. Um, so in my opinion, you know, continuing to, to build a platform from scratch that then, like you think about the music business, you know, the, the route that people have to take, like Darius said, selling out the trunk, uh, what the product is, if, if people can connect with it on the ground level, larger companies will want to partner with it in the big picture. So Wingstop has actually uh, tested our product uh, with their traveling food truck. And we're, we're working to try to get one of these big wing chains to pick it up uh, with the evidence that it works and it's the top seller in smaller black businesses. So the trend for me is that corporate entities will continue to partner further with established black owned businesses. And that's good. So that means that Black-owned businesses on the ground, you need to make sure your paperwork is together. You need to make sure your accounting is together, your branding is together, and it's all in order so that when you get ready to work with these companies, you have everything 
ready so that they see that you're ready to go to that next level without having to give up so much of your ownership. And I think that's where we've lost a lot of our ownership is that we haven't had our stuff in order. So we've gotten good products, we've got good services, but then our stuff is not in order. And so therefore we forfeit more of our rights when we, you know, when we start to partner with the larger companies. And so I think that's a good point. What Marlo, um, what do you forecast? Like, what do you foresee in this industry moving forward? Um, I, 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 I honestly foresee, and, and, and I'm not saying it's me, I just foresee doors opening for other underrepresented brands. Um, the funny thing, a lot of things, when you when you pitch, you're, you know, you, you, you're selling cake mix. I never thought about that. Like nobody ever thinks about that it's cake mix and there's no black owned cake mix on the shelves. Like nobody has ever thought about that. And so now that it's on the mind, I just think people, you know, I don't operate in, in competition. It just opens the door for other people to say, hey, I make a good cake. I make a do this, a good icing. And it just brings more representation uh, to the store shelves because ultimately that's where we want to be on the store shelves. Um, it's just, I just think it's going to open up opportunities for underrepresented brands. As far as we were growing, uh, we're going to be in a position to get, um, you know, right, uh, our different, a full line along with our buttercream. Uh, we have, we've already created our gluten-free mix, which is absolutely fabulous. I mean, so we're, we just want to be sure that we 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 cover the market uh, and that, you know, because our cake mix can easily be, you know, converted to vegan friendly. People don't think you can leave the eggs out and replace it with something that doesn't compromise the quality uh, of the of the brand of the product, and so you know because everybody likes sweet, but everybody can't eat gluten. Everybody they're vegan, so we can't use the eggs. So it's just making a product to where it, it helps you expand and and to look larger than, especially for bakers. That that's an industry where there's so many little bakeries. Think larger than that. Think what can you leave to your children? And so that's where my mind is. So. I love that. Think about what you can leave to your children. I think that mm -hmm. is so impactful. And even as we started, one of the things that you talked about was being able to create generational wealth. And so yeah. all of you all have built uh, businesses and legacies that are scalable um, and have the ability to be passed out. And so right. you guys have thought outside of, you know, a business that encompasses you having to be in it. Um, and um, I have another thing, because in the cake mix entry, people have no idea. There are very few barriers to entry into this particular industry. Like some other industries, a lot of hurdles. There's really few barriers for entry. Um, you really can do it. And so it's just, you got to do a little research, but you just, you got to think, like you say, leaving something, leaving something that's, because with a bakery, if I didn't show up, I wasn't going to make any money that day. With this, you create a product. I have a manufacturer. Hopefully one day we'll, we'll manufacture our own product, but we're not there yet. But either way, it's going to keep selling regardless. And so you just got to think out larger, think bigger. Yes, I love that. Think bigger. I hope that you guys are really taking this in um, as you're watching today. I, I love that. My um, my theme for 2021 is it's big deal season. And so everywhere that anybody will listen to me, my mantra is I sign big deals. I do big deals. I am a big deal and I broker big deals. And so it's big deal season. I, I really think that's the, the way that we're headed. So Darius, uh, what do you foresee when it comes to the seafood industry moving forward? What's your kind of long-term plan? Overall, the seafood industry is, is growing every every year. Uh, you know, 
with and uh Crawford's been around for a while, but it's as definitely it's on the rise of more areas. So it's picking up on you know a lot of people in California, a lot of people in Georgia are starting to really pick up on it because everybody already know about the crab, the lobster tails. So with crawfish, and more now more people starting to get more into it because you go you go around the country, you see a lot of people impersonate Louisiana style food. But one thing about it, you, you can't duplicate what the real is. And and that just kind of how I see it. And also with the pandemic coming around, it really changed the restaurant industry as a whole. It would, in my opinion, it'll never go back to being the same. Uh and a lot of people who wasn't who's not, who who was not ready for that particular pivot at that particular time, it really played an advantage to smaller businesses because you was able to adapt, especially for my business. Because once the pandemic came, we was able to make a pivot. Okay, bam, we closing inside, we curbside. We we gonna come to you though. We don't you don't need to come inside. We just made it till we made sure our food continued to be good, but at the same time, bring it out faster. Because now people got you got to put in mind other people. Because now other people they don't want to catch COVID. You got employees they don't need to catch it. And if you was able to be able to pivot and be able to adjust, and the internet has changed the playing field. You know, a lot of people be scared of it, but at the end of the day, by click of a button, you can see a hundred thousand people every day and increase your odds on people coming to shop your business because that will help me and my personal business because people they've been around for a long time so what i do i'm young i'm hip the internet i'm on the way and and and, and running a business you got to be able to keep up you entrepreneur you got to keep up with the trends you got to know what's going on you got to know what's coming down the pipeline to at least be prepared for what's going on so the internet is it's here to stay for a while so anybody that's young take take advantage of youtube Take advantage of Instagram. Take advantage of Facebook because you don't even need a whole bunch of money. You just need to pick up your phone and make a video, make a post, and share it to your tribe and be consistent each and every day. So that's how I see the future going on. The internet is changing the way, changing the whole scenery, and you just have to be be on top of it. And that's just how I see the seafood and the restaurant industry going in the future. I think that is such a huge point, too, um, because sometimes we do underutilize um, the Internet and social media and those different outlets. But we're sitting here and like Marla is somebody that I connected to on social media years ago um, and have just been on the sidelines like, go, 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 you know, and then Darius you get more than on the sidelines. <laughs> you are a true, true supporter. Listen, I, I'm just I am I get excited when I see people really going after their dreams and their purpose and that that lights me up. And when I see people going, then I'm like, OK, now I know your dream. Every time I find something that I think, even if it's not something that she needs, I drop it to her inbox. Same thing with Darius and Larry. We met on we met on Clubhouse. And like literally for Brianna's job, I was like, uh, Brianna, you're going to sign up for Clubhouse. Here's your invitation. We're going to host some rooms and get to know what's out there, who's out there. We would have never met you guys if it wasn't for Clubhouse. You know? Yeah. And one thing just at Daniela, we talked about um, mentorship and everything and how important that is for running your own business. And I don't know if you guys know, but I um, work alongside Daniela every day. She's really, you know, teaching me a lot about networking and how important all those things are. And um, for me personally, um, having my own ideas and business ventures in my own head, I'm really taking a lot from this and I'll probably be reaching out 
this all of you at some point um, for advice, but this has been really nice. Yes, the, the internet is so critical in build, building so many different relationships. And I think sometimes it gets a bad name because we haven't learned how to master it. But it goes back to what Stacy talked about is when you know the purpose of why you're on a social media outlet, why you're on Clubhouse, why you're on Facebook, why you're on the internet, and you know that purpose and you're strategic about it. So one of the things I did even going into Clubhouse is I put together my plan. What do I want to contribute to Clubhouse? What do I want to take from Clubhouse? What do I want to learn at Clubhouse? And then I started to curate times to do all three. And so there's times where I'm there and I'm networking and I'm looking for people who are in the hospitality industry that, you know, that we can really highlight, have conversations with, build and do business with. So sometimes I'm doing that. Other times I'm there to kind of share my knowledge and pass it on to other people. And then there are times where I'm going in the rooms to learn about things that I, I'm not that knowledgeable on so that I can take notes and be the student. And so because of that, my experience on Clubhouse is always positive. Same thing with the other, you know, outlets. And so really understanding why am I here? Why am I showing up? Whether that's an interview that you're doing, whether that's, you know, showing up and putting a post there. And then Darius, you said something else that I really, really, I need everybody to understand. You've got to show up and you've got to show up every single day on social media. And I think sometimes as business owners and, you know, Stacey probably can and echo me on this. You feel like I just said the same thing. I just posted this. I just talked about this. But with algorithms, one, you're not always showing up in the feed to the same people. So that's the first thing. Number two, people learn from repetition. And so brand recognition comes from repetition. The more they hear the name of your business, the more they know what you do, the more you show up, the more you're present, the more opportunities you have that when they need you, they'll call on you, you know? And so when I started thinking about putting together this, this panel and Brianna and I are talking about all the options that we had and we had a list of people. It was the ones that one I saw that came in clubhouse rooms often, the ones I saw talking about their business often, it really came down to, you know, who's, who stood out and who was at the front of our, the forefront of our thoughts um, and, you know, have really stood out and put their business out there. I think when Larry and Darius, when I met them, we were in a room with 50 something people. You know, so out of 50 some people, these were the two that stood out. Um, so don't be afraid to show up and show up boldly. And so, Stacey, um, you know, when we're talking about the future of food and where we're going, um, I really want to know, um, how do you see the food industry changing? Like, how do you see it changing in the industry moving forward? So when I um, hear that question, I think about influence, influencers like Tabitha Brown. Like the market is starting to realize that our dollar is valuable, that the way we prepare and, and cook food is valuable. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I was such a good TikTok. I'm like, that's a Gen Z thing. But I get on there and there's chefs and there's cooks and there's people that are showing you their products and how they prepare food on TikTok. And speaking to what Darius said, they're going viral. They're they're posting their um their brands on Twitter and they're going viral. So people are starting to see that the way food to us, we love to eat. So they're starting to see that the money is there, that it's a valuable business, and they're starting to take interest in the way that we enjoy food and how we prepare food and how we serve food. So if you're interested in like launching a restaurant, opening or launching a new product or anything right now, I it's starting now, you know, strike while the iron's hot because you have the resources available to you. And not only that, you have the, you have people's ear. 
people are listening to what we have to say. People are, you know, tuning in to how we take in media and how we, get, you know, push out media. So to me right now, I think that, I, again, you know, I did say that the Black, the Black Lives Matter was becoming a marketing ploy, but again, it got people to look at us. It got people to stop and see that we are valuable in this market. So I think that if you are, you know, again, contemplating on if it's, if it's your time, it is your time. It is your time. You have all the resources available to you. And now, like again, when we spoke to earlier, take the shot. That's it. Take the shot. Well, we've had such a wonderful conversation today, and I want to just thank you all for taking the time to have this conversation with us. As we leave, we always like to leave our viewers with just some inspiration. So we're going to ask each of you guys to just share a piece of advice or encouragement to someone out there who's watching, who wants to get involved in the hospitality industry. You know, what would you leave them with? And so we're going to start with you, Larry. Uh, I would say uh, be yourself and tell your story. Uh, that's what makes you unique across every other person on the planet is that you have your own story and who you are uh, and people buy from who they like. So the more that you tell your story, the more opportunity you will have to connect with like-minded individuals that will want to help you um, move forward. I learned a, a very interesting quote uh, last week, actually, that uh, talent is universal, but opportunity is not. Uh, so we all have the talent level to be great in this world, but we have to take advantage of our opportunities. And your story is a part of that. That is your opportunity. So tell your story, be yourself. And when the opportunities present themselves, go for it. Awesome. All right, Darius, what about you? Uh, I made the gym. I just I like to tell people, and with, especially when I jump into the hospitality realm or just any industry, treat people right. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing because that same person that you met on the bottom floor when you moving up, you might have to come. You might have to see that particular person on the individual, and you and you did, and you and you didn't treat those particular people right. You cut your blessings short. So that's like that's one of the major things is you treat people right. And you know, treat them how you want to be treated, and just go into it with a plan and, and and really have faith. Don't just talk about it. Don't talk, don't sit there and pray to God, asking God to do something, but you sleeping in all day. You're not putting forth the work, he's not gonna bless you if you're not putting the work in. He said, Faith without works is dead. You if you're gonna do it, you gotta you gotta really be about it. So that's the main thing I want to tell people, man. Just tap into your superpowers. You can do anything you put your mind to. Um, so that's the major key I want to tell you guys, man. Just keep God first. Don't have no fear and go after. That's awesome. All right, Stacey, what about you? When you enter this business, the main thing I want to say is that when you enter this business on the corporate side, learn everything. I came in thinking that I was just going to learn marketing, but I, I had to learn operations because there was moments when I wanted to, you know, do a marketing campaign but I had to stop and see operationally, how was this going to affect their food cost? How is this going to affect like the budget? So learn everything. Um, and the more you learn, it won't only just help you in your avenue and your lane, but you'll get the. All right, Stacey, you hit mute. We're going to give her a second. To come back. We heard. We heard. 
but you'll you'll get the respect uh, of the chef in the kitchen. You'll get the respect of the person that does the numbers when you take time to learn more than just what you're you're there for. I have learned so much this past year outside of marketing that it now translate over into how I do my job. And so that when I present a marketing plan now, you can't give me any excuse cause, cause excuses because I've thought through A and Z because now I know the whole operation. And so I can see that my colleagues are starting to respond better to the marketing efforts because I took out that time to acknowledge their line of business. That's awesome. All right. What about you, Marla? What are your final thoughts? What he said and what he said. <laughs> I like they just, they both of them said exactly. So I'm not going to repeat it, but Larry really like they're buying you. They're buying you. So be yourself. And what he said, your superpower. I was like, okay, what else am I going to say? But the truth is there is nothing there is nothing too hard to do. You might think it, but there's really nothing that's too hard. So just stick to it. Just know you can do it. And like you said, it's a superpower within you. I tell people all the time, you have to visualize, you have to believe, you have to know, and you have to allow, and you have to do inspired actions. So don't just get out there doing anything, do inspired actions, take the steps to do it, know you can do it. Everything you need will come to you, but you can't give up. You you cannot give up. You cannot give up. It's, you know, they, they you've heard it all the time. If, if, if your dream seems too big, then it, if it feels like it, it's too unbelievable or you can't happen, that means it's not big enough. If it doesn't scare you, well, no, what is, if it doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so cliche, but you can do it. People like when you buy my cake mix, it, it's better than any other cake mix. I'll say that. But people are buying it on the strength of, of Marla Pruitt for the most part right now. And so just just be you. No, you can do it. I'm not going to repeat what they said. <laughs> and like Stacey said, learn everything. That's all good information. Awesome. You can do it. It's okay. I'm sorry, Daniel. Last little jewel here. It, it has to start in your mind. Yeah, everything mm. in the world, everything from the car you're driving, yes. to the house you're living in, was originally a vision in somebody's mind. It had to be created. So that's good stuff. That is good stuff. Well, we're getting ready to wrap up today. As I said when we started, each and every person on this panel has either an HBCU connection or a Divine Nine connection. So I'm going to give them a chance. We can go around starting with Brianna. Just let us know either what HBCU you attended or if you're a part of a, a Divine Nine, you can share that or both. And so Brianna, we're going to start with you and then we'll go around uh, Brianna, Stacy, Darius, uh, Marla, and then Larry last. Yes, I um, actually went to Morgan State University as well. That's why I was excited when Larry said that. Um, and I got my bachelor's in hospitality management. Awesome. Stacy. Well, my sore is in the White House, so I'm super excited about that. Yes, girl, yes! <laughs> um, but I did not go to an HBCU. I went to the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where I was introduced to crawfish. Um, I did not know about crawfish um, in North Mississippi until I got to Hattiesburg, and I went to school with all these people from Louisiana and the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, and they were like, 
Yeah, we eat crawfish, Johnny. We actually have a crawfish bowl on campus. And so I'm very familiar. So what you're doing is great. And I cannot wait to check you out because I have, over the years, I've paid for my pounds of crawfish. So I cannot wait to support you. Awesome. What about you, Darius? Oh, yeah. My HBCU ties. I went to Southern University and and Wiley College. Uh, I was blessed to go for a little while. You know, I ain't finished. I'll be the first to tell people, but you know, I definitely went there and I represent for everybody who tapped into the HBCUs, man. That's right. That's awesome. All right, Marla, what about you? Well, I attended Spelman College and I graduated from Lane College in Jackson, Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee, matter of fact. And I know about those crawfish because my brother married into a to a Louisiana girl. And they taught me about <laughs> taking the head and sucking the head. So the head. I, love yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love them. I didn't ever first it was like, hey, I love me some crawfish. So I was I know trying to eat it cute. They were like, girl, take the no, head off. You, you cannot eat them cute. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so I, I attended Lane College and I pledged a bed Kai Lane College as well, Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Yes. So we got sorors on the um yes. Yeah. Awesome. What about you, Larry? Uh, well, my surprise has already been spoiled. I attended Morgan State University. Uh, I'm not a part of Divine Nine, but have much love and respect for everybody who is. Lots of classmates, family, and friends, uh, parts of those organizations. But uh, going to an HBCU is an experience that I wouldn't trade for the world. Uh, it, it, the nurturing is just as powerful as the education. So mm-hmm. shout out to the HBCUs. And it's funny because... I have three children. My daughter didn't go to HBCU. She regrets it, but she's my soror. And I have twin boys. One went to Tennessee State and one was on scholarship at Colorado State University, but he just transferred to FAMU. I'm a Rattler's mom now. And so I said, what's the biggest difference between going, you know, to PWI and to a um, HBCU? He said, first of all, mom, they serve fried chicken, collard greens, and cornbread, <laughs> and sometimes on Wednesdays, and I fell out. I say it's fried chicken Wednesdays. <laughs> so, and then I said, but the nurture and the network from people like Larry just said, it's, it's. I'm so glad he transferred. So glad he transferred. So awesome. We it is our honor. We um, are able to serve HBCUs across the country, in addition mm-hmm. to Hampton Sydney College, and uh, we are always privileged to be able to provide those types of experiences to our students. We talk to our staff on a regular basis about how important um, the hospitality industry and the food service um, and what they experience in their dining program, how it contributes to their experience overall in colleges. So we want to thank you guys for watching um, and just being a part of today's panel. We appreciate your time and we um, know that our viewers have really been able to take some great value out of this. On behalf of Thompson Hospitality, We say hats off, we salute you, and we celebrate your businesses and all that you are doing to contribute to the success of um, the hospitality and food industry. We want to thank you guys for watching today's episode of Chef Talk. I'm your host, Daniela Smallwood, and I will be back next time with a new episode. See you later. Bye-bye.